0: CD 3 Lady Sybil Ramkin looked at the sad strip of leather that was all that remained of the late Chubby. Who'd do something like this to a poor little dragon, she said. We're trying to find out, said Vimes. We, we think maybe he was tied up next to a wall and exploded. Carrot leaned over the wall of a pen. Coochie, coochie, coo, he said. A friendly flame took his eyebrows off. I mean, he was as tame as anything, said Lady Ramkin. Wouldn't hurt a fly, poor little thing. How could someone make a dragon blow up, said Vimes? Could you do it by giving it a kick? Oh, yes, said Sybil. You'd lose your leg, mind you. Then it wasn't that. Any other way, so you wouldn't get hurt? Not really. It'd be easier to make it blow itself up. Really, Sam, I don't like talking about it. I have to know. Well, at this time of year, the males fight. Make themselves look big, you know. That's why I always keep them apart. Vimes shook his head. There was only one dragon, he said. Behind them, Carrot leaned over the next pen, where a pear-shaped male dragon opened one eye and glared at him. Who's a good boy, then, murmured Carrot. I'm sure I've got a bit of coal somewhere. The dragon opened the other eye, blinked, and then was fully awake and rearing up. Its ears flattened, its nostrils flared, its wings unfurled, it breathed in. From its stomach came the gurgle of rushing acids as sluices and valves were opened. Its feet left the floor, its chest expanded. Vimes hit Carrot at waist-height, bearing him to the ground. In its pen the dragon blinked. The enemy had mysteriously gone, scared off. It subsided, blowing off a huge flame. "'Vimes unclasped his hands from his head and rolled over. "'Would you do that for, Captain?' said Carrot. "'I wasn't—' "'It was attacking a dragon,' shouted Vimes, "'one that wouldn't back down.' "'He pulled himself to his knees and tapped Carrot's breastplate. "'You polish that up real bright,' he said. "'You can see yourself in it. "'So could anything else.' "'Oh, yes, of course there's that,' said Lady Sybil. "'Everyone knows you should keep dragons away from mirrors.' "'Mirrors?' said Carrot. "'Hey, there were bits of—' "'Yes, he showed Chubby a mirror,' said Vimes. "'The poor little thing must have been trying to make himself bigger than himself,' said Carrot. "'We're dealing here,' said Vimes, "'with a twisted mind.' "'Oh, no, you think so?' "'Yes, but—' "'No, you can't be right, because Nobby was with us all the time.' Not Nobby, said Vimes testily. Whatever he might do to a dragon, I doubt if he'd make it explode. There's stranger people in this world than Corporal Nobs, my lad. Carrot's expression slid into a rictus of intrigued horror. Gosh, he said. Sergeant Colon surveyed the butts. Then he removed his helmet and wiped his forehead. I think perhaps Lance Constable Angua shouldn't have another go with a longbow until we've worked out how to stop her, um, her, er. Uh, m- Getting in the way. Sorry, sergeant. They turned to Detritus, who was standing sheepishly behind a heap of broken longbows. Crossbows were out of the question. They sat in his massive hands like a hairpin. In theory, the longbow would be a deadly weapon in his hands, just as soon as he mastered the art of when to let go. Detritus shrugged. Sorry, mister, he said. Bows aren't troll weapon. Ha, said Colon. And as for you, Lance Constable Cuddy, just can't get the hang of aiming, sergeant. I thought dwarves were famous for their skills in battle. Yeah, but not these skills, said Cuddy. Ambush, murmured Detritus. Since he was a troll, the murmur bounced off distant buildings. Cuddy's beard bristled. You devious troll, I get my... Well, now, said Sergeant Colon quickly, I think we'll stop training. "'You'll have to sort of pick it up as you go along, all right?' "'He sighed. "'He was not a cruel man, "'but he'd been either a soldier or a guard all his life, "'and he was feeling put upon. "'Otherwise he wouldn't have said what he said next. "'I don't know, I really don't. "'Fighting among yourselves, smashing your own weapons. "'I mean, who do we think we're fooling? "'Now it's nearly noon. "'You take a few hours off and we'll see you again tonight, "'if you think it's worth turning up.' "'There was a spang noise.' Cuddy's crossbow had gone off in his hand. The bolt whiffled past Corporal Nobs's ear and landed in the river where it stuck. "'Sorry,' said Cuddy. <sniffs> said Sergeant Colon. That was the worst part. It would have been better all round if he'd called the dwarf some names. It would have been better if he'd made it seem that Cuddy was worth an insult. He turned around and walked off towards Pseudopolis Yard. They heard his muttered comment. "'What him, see?' said Detritus. A fine body of men, said Angua, going red. Cuddy spat on the ground, which didn't take long on account of its closeness. Then he reached under his cloak and produced, like a conjurer extracting a size ten rabbit from a size five hat, his double-headed battle axe, and started to run. By the time he reached the virginal target, he was a blur. There was a rip, and the dummy exploded like a nuclear haystack. The other two wandered up and inspected the result, as pieces of chaff gently drifted to the ground. "'Yes, all right,' said Angua. "'But he did say you're supposed to be able to ask them questions afterwards.' "'He didn't say they've got to be able to answer them,' said Cuddy, grimly. "'Lunch, Constable Cuddy. "'Deduct one dollar for target,' said Detritus, "'who already owed eleven dollars for bows.' "'If it's worth turning up,' said Cuddy, "'losing the axe somewhere about his person again.' "'Speciesist.' "'I don't think he meant it that way,' said Angua. "'Oh, it's all right for you,' said Cuddy. "'Why?' "'Cause you a man,' said Detritus. "'Angua was bright enough to pause for a moment to think this over. "'A woman,' she said. "'Same thing.' "'Only in broad terms. "'Come on, let's go and have a drink.' The transient moment of camaraderie and adversity completely evaporated. Drink with a troll? Drink with a dwarf? All right, said Angua. How about you and you coming and having a drink with me? Angua removed her helmet and shook out her hair. Female trolls don't have hair, although the more fortunate ones are able to cultivate a fine growth of lichen, and a female dwarf is more likely to be complimented on the silkiness of her beard than on her scalp. "'But it was just possible the sight of Angua "'scraped little sparks off some shared ancient cosmic maleness. "'I haven't really had a chance to look around,' she said, "'but I saw a place in Gleam Street, "'which meant that they had to cross the river, "'at least two of them trying to indicate to passers-by "'that they weren't with at least one of the other two, "'which meant that, with desperate nonchalance, "'they were looking around, "'which meant that Cuddy saw the dwarf in the water, "'if you could call it water.' if you could still call it a dwarf. They looked down. You know, said Detritus after a while, that looked like that dwarf who make weapons on Rhyme Street. Bjorn Hammerhawk, said Cuddy. That the one, yeah? It looks a bit like him, Cuddy conceded, still talking in a cold, flat voice. But not exactly like him. What do you mean? said Angua. "'Because Mr. Hammerhawk,' said Cuddy, "'didn't have such a great big hole where his chest should be.' "'Doesn't he ever sleep?' thought Vimes. "'Doesn't the bloody man ever get his head down? "'Isn't there a room somewhere with a black dressing gown hanging on the door?' "'He knocked on the door of the oblong office. "'Ah, Captain,' said the patrician, looking up from his paperwork. "'You were commendably quick, was I?' ''You got my message?'' said Lord Vetinari. ''No, sir. I've been occupied.'' ''Indeed. And what could occupy you?'' ''Someone has killed Mr Hammerhawk, sir. A big man in the dwarf community. He's been shot with something, some kind of siege weapon or something, and dumped in the river. We've just fished him out. I was on the way to tell his wife.'' I think he lives in Treacle Street, and then I thought since I was passing. This is very unfortunate. Certainly it was for Mr. Haberhock," said Vimes. The patrician leaned back and stared at Vimes. Tell me, he said, how was he killed? I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. There was just a great big hole. But I'm going to find out what it was. Hmm... Did I mention that Dr. Cruces came to see me this morning? "'No, sir.' "'He was very concerned.' "'Yes, sir.' "'I think you upset him.' "'Sir.' "'The patrician seemed to be reaching a decision. "'His chair thumped forwards. "'Captain Vimes.' "'Sir, I know that you are retiring the day after tomorrow "'and feel therefore a little restless. "'But while you are captain of the Night Watch,' I am asking you to follow two very specific instructions. Sir, you will cease any investigations connected with this theft from the Assassin's Guild, do you understand? It is entirely Guild business. Sir, Vimes kept his face, carefully immobile. I'm choosing to believe that the unspoken word in that sentence was a yes, Captain. Sir. And that one, too. As for the matter of the unfortunate Mr. Hammerhock, the body was discovered just a short while ago? Yes, sir. Then it's out of your jurisdiction, Captain. What, sir? The day watch can deal with it. But we've never bothered with that hours of daylight jurisdiction stuff. Nevertheless, in the current circumstances, I shall instruct Captain Quirk to take over the investigation if. It turns out that one is necessary. If one is necessary, people don't end up with half their chest gone by accident. Meteorite strike, perhaps, thought Vimes. He took a deep breath and leaned on the patrician's desk. Mayonnaise quirk. Couldn't find his arse with an atlas. And he's got no idea about how to talk to dwarfs. He calls them gritsuckers. My men found the body. It's my jurisdiction. The patrician glanced at Vimes's hands. Vimes removed them from the desk as if it had suddenly grown red-hot. Night watch. That's what you are, Captain. Your writ runs in the hours of darkness. It's dwarfs we're talking about. If we don't get it right, they'll take the lord into their own hands. That usually means chopping the head off the nearest troll. And you'll put quirk on this... I've given you an order, Captain, but you may go. You can't. I said you may go, Captain Vimes. Sir, Vimes saluted, then he turned about and marched out of the room. He closed the door carefully so that there was barely a click. The patrician heard him thump the wall outside. Vimes wasn't aware, but there were a number of barely perceptible dents in the wall outside the oblong office, their depths corresponding to his emotional state at the time. By the sound of it, this one would need the services of a plasterer. Lord Vetinari permitted himself a smile, although there was no humour in it. The city operated. It was a self-regulating college of guilds, linked by the inexorable laws of mutual self-interest, and it worked, on average, by and large. Overall, normally, the last thing you needed was some watchman blundering around upsetting things like a loose, a loose, a loose siege catapult. Normally, Vimes seemed in a suitable emotional state. With any luck, the orders would have the desired effect. There's a bar like it in every big city. It's where the coppers drink. "'The guards seldom drank in Ankh-Morpork's more cheerful taverns when they were off duty. "'It was too easy to see something that would put them back on duty again. "'Suicide, for example. "'Murder was in fact a fairly uncommon event in Ankh-Morpork, but there were a lot of suicides. "'Walking in the nighttime alleyways of the Shades was suicide. "'Asking for a short in a dwarf bar was suicide. "'Saying got rocks in your head to a troll was suicide. "'You could commit suicide very easily if you weren't careful.' So they generally went to the bucket in Gleam Street. It was small and low-ceilinged, and the presence of city guards tended to discourage other drinkers. But Mr. Cheese, the owner, wasn't too worried about this. No one drinks like a copper who has seen too much to stay sober. Carrot counted out his change on the counter. That's three beers, one milk, one molten sulphur on coke with phosphoric acid. With umbrella in it, said Detritus. And a slow, comfortable double entendre with lemonade, with a fruit salad in it," said Nobby. "Woof." And some beer in a bowl," said Angua. "That little dog seems to have taken quite a shine to you," said Carrot. "Er, uh, yes," said Angua. "I can't think why." The drinks were put in front of them. They stared at the drinks. They drank the drinks. Mister Cheese, who knew coppers wordlessly refilled the glasses, and Detritus's insulated mug. They stared at the drinks. They drank the drinks. You know, said Colon after a while, what gets me, what really gets me, is they just dumped him in the water. I mean, not even weights, just dumped him, like it didn't matter if he was found. You know what I mean? What gets me, said Cuddy, is that he was a dwarf. What gets me is that he was murdered said Carrot. Mr. Cheese passed along the line again. They stared at the drinks. They drank the drinks. Because the fact was that, despite all evidence to the contrary, murder was not a commonplace occurrence in Arkmore Pork. There were, it was true, assassinations, and as aforesaid, there were many ways one could inadvertently commit suicide. And there were occasional domestic fracas on a Saturday night as people sought a cheaper alternative to divorce. There were all these things, but at least they had a reason however unreasonable. Big man in the dwarfs was Mr. Hammerhawk, said Carrot. Good citizen, too. Wasn't always stirring up old trouble like Mr. Strong in the arm. He's got a workshop in Rhyme Street, said Nobby. Had, said Sergeant Colon. They stared at the drinks. They drank the drinks. What I want to know is, said Angua, what put that hole in him? Never seen anything like that, said Colon. "'Hadn't someone better go and tell Mrs. Hammerhock?' said Angua. "'Captain Vimes is doing it,' said Carrot. "'He said he wouldn't ask anyone else to do it.' "'Rather him than me,' said Colon fervently. "'I wouldn't do that for a big clock. "'They can be fearsome when they're angry, those little buggers.' "'Everyone nodded gloomily, "'including the little bugger and the bigger little bugger by adoption. "'They stared at the drinks. "'They drank the drinks.' ''Shouldn't we be finding out who did it?'' said Angua. ''Why?'' said Nobby. She opened and shut her mouth once or twice and finally came out with, ''In case they do it again.'' ''It wasn't an assassination, was it?'' said Cuddy. ''No,'' said Carrot. ''They always leave a note, by law.'' They looked at the drinks. They drank the drinks. ''What a city!'' said Angua. "'It all works, that's the funny thing,' said Carrot. "'Do you know, when I first joined the Watch, "'I was so simple I arrested the head of the Thieves' Guild for thieving?' "'Sounds good to me,' said Angua. "'Got into a bit of trouble for that,' said Carrot. "'You see,' said Colon, "'thieves are organised here. "'I mean, it's official. "'They're allowed a certain amount of thieving. "'Not that they do much these days, mind you. "'If you pay them a little premium every year, "'they give you a card and leave you alone. "'Saves time and effort all round.' And all thieves are members, said Angua. Oh, yes, said Carrot. Can't go thieving in Ankh-Morpork without a guild permit, not unless you've got a special talent. Why? What happens? What talent? she said. Well, like being able to survive being hung upside down from one of the gates with your ears nailed to your knees, said Carrot. Then Angua said, that's terrible. Yes, I know, but the thing is, said Carrot, the thing is... It works, the whole thing, guilds and organised crimes and everything, it all seems to work. Didn't work for old Mr. Hammerhock, said Sergeant Colon. They looked at their drinks. Very slowly, like a mighty sequoia beginning the first step towards resurrection as a million save the trees leaflets, Detritus toppled backwards with his mug still in his hand. Apart from the ninety-degree change in position, he didn't move a muscle. It's the sulphur said Cuddy, without looking around. It goes right to their heads. Carrot thumped his fist on the bar. We ought to do something. We could nick his boots, said Nobby. I mean about Mr Hammerhock. Oh, yeah, 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 said Nobby. You sound like old Vimesy. If we was to worry about every dead body in this town... But not like this, snapped Carrot. Normally it's just... Well, suicide or guild fighting, stuff like that, but he was just a dwarf, pillar of the community, spent all day making swords and axes and burial weapons and crossbows and torture implements, and then he's in the river with a great big hole in his chest. Who's going to do anything about it if not us? You've been putting anything in your milk, said Colon. Look, the dwarfs can sort it out. It's like quarry lean. Don't stick your nose where someone can pull it off and eat it. "'We're the City Watch,' said Carrot. "'That doesn't mean just that part of the city "'who happens to be over four feet tall and made of flesh.' "'No dwarf, did it?' said Cuddy, who was swaying gently. "'No troll neither.' "'He tried to tap the side of his nose and missed. "'The reason being, he still had all his arms and legs on.' "'Captain Vimes will want it investigated,' said Carrot. "'Captain Vimes is trying to learn to be a civilian.' "'said Nobby. "'Well, I'm not gonna—' "'Colon began and got off his stool. "'He hopped. "'He jumped up and down a bit, "'his mouth opening and shutting. "'Then the words managed to come out. "'My foot! "'What about your foot? Something stuck in it!' "'He hopped backwards, "'clutching at one sandal, "'and fell over detritus. "'You'd be amazed what can get stuck "'to your boots in this town,' "'said Carrot. "'There's something on the bottom "'of your sandal,' said Angua. "'Stop waving it about, you silly man!' "'She drew her dagger.' "'Bit of card or something, with a drawing-pin in it. "'You picked it up somewhere. "'Probably took a while for you to tread it through. "'There.' "'Bit of card?' said Carrot. "'There's something written on it,' Angua scraped away the mud. "'Gone.' "'What does that mean?' she said. "'I don't know. "'Something's gone, I suppose. "'Perhaps it's Mr. Gone's visiting card, whoever he is,' said Nobby. Who cares? Let's have another. Carrot took the card and turned it over and over in his hands. Save the pin, said Cuddy. You only get five of them for a penny. My cousin Gimmick makes them. This is important, said Carrot slowly. The captain ought to know about this. I think he was looking for it. What's important about it, said Sergeant Colon, apart from my foot hurting like blazes? I don't know. The captain will know. "'said Carrot, stubbornly. "'You tell him then,' said Colon. "'He's staying up at her ladyships now.' "'Learning to be a gentleman,' said Nobby. "'I'm going to tell him,' said Carrot. Angua glanced through the grubby window. "'The moon would be up soon. "'That was one trouble with cities. "'The damn thing could be lurking behind a tower "'if you weren't careful.' "'And I'd better be um, getting back to my lodgings,' she said. "'I'll accompany you.' said Carrot quickly. I ought to go and find Captain Vimes in any case. Um, It'll be out of your way, she said. Honestly, I'd like to. She looked at his earnest expression. I couldn't put you to the trouble, she said. That's all right. I like walking. It helps me think. Angua smiled despite her desperation. They stepped out into the softer heat of the evening. Instinctively, Carrot settled into the policeman's pace. "'Very old street, this,' he said. "'They say there's an underground stream under it. "'I read that. "'What do you think?' "'Do you really like walking?' said Angua, falling into step. "'Oh, yes. "'There are many interesting byways and historical buildings to be seen. "'I often go for walks on my day off.' "'She looked at his face. "'Ye gods,' she thought. "'Why did you join the watch?' she said. "'My father said it would make a man of me.' It seems to have worked. Yes, it's the best job there is. Really? Oh, yes. Do you know what policeman means? Angua shrugged. No. It means man of the police. That's an old word for city. Yes? I read it in a book Man of the City. She glanced sideways at him again. His face glowed in the light of a torch on the street corner, but it had some inner glow of its own. He's proud. She remembered the oath. Proud of being in the damn watch, for God's sake. Why did you join, he said. "Uh, Me? Oh, I I like to eat meals and sleep indoors. (laughs) Anyway, there isn't that much choice, is there? It was that or become um, a seamstress. "'A survey by the Ankh-Morpork Guild of Merchants of Tradespeople "'in the dock areas of Morpork "'found 987 women who gave their profession as seamstress. "'Oh, and two needles.' "'And you're not very good at sewing?' "'Anguer's sharp glance saw nothing but honest innocence in his face. "'Yes,' she said, giving up. "'That's right. "'And then I saw this poster, The City Watch Needs Men. "'Be a man in the City Watch. "'So I thought I'd give it a go.' After all, I'd only have something to gain. She waited to see if he'd failed to pick this one up, too. He did. Sergeant Colon wrote that notice, said Carrot. He's a fairly direct thinker. He sniffed. Can you smell something? He said. Smells like, a, uh, a bit like someone's thrown away an old privy carpet. Oh, thank you very much said a voice very low down somewhere in the darkness. Oh, yes, thank you very much. That's very what's name of you. Oh, Privy Carpet. Oh, yes. Can't smell anything, Angua lied. Liar, said the voice. Or hear anything. Captain Vimes's boots told him he was in Schoon Avenue. His feet were doing the walking of their own volition. His mind was somewhere else. In fact, some of it was dissolving gently in Jimkin Bearhugger's finest nectar. If only they hadn't been so damn polite. There were a number of things he'd seen in his life which he'd always try without success to forget. Up until now, he would have put at the top of the list, looking at the tonsils of a giant dragon as it drew the breath intended to turn him into a small pile of impure charcoal. He still woke up sweating at the memory of the little pilot light but he dreaded now that it was going to be replaced by the recollection of all those impassive dwarf faces, watching him politely and feeling that his words were dropping into a deep pit. After all, what could he say? Sorry he's dead, and that's official. We're putting our worst men on the case. The late Bjorn Hammerhock's house had been full of dwarfs, silent, owlish, polite dwarfs. The news had got around. He wasn't telling anyone anything they didn't know. Many of them were holding weapons. Mr. Strong in the arm was there. Captain Vimes had talked to him before about his speeches on the subject of the need for grinding all trolls in little bits and using them to make roads. But the dwarf wasn't saying anything now. He was just looking smug. There was an air of quiet, polite menace that said, We'll listen to you, and then we'll do what we decide to do. He hadn't even been sure which one was Mrs. Hammerhock. They all looked alike to him. When she was introduced, helmeted, bearded, he'd got polite, non-committal answers. No, she'd locked his workshop and seemed to have mislaid the key, thank you. He'd tried to indicate as subtly as possible that a wholesale march on Quarry Lane would be frowned upon by the guard, probably from a vantage point at a safe distance, but hadn't the face to spell it out. He couldn't say, don't take matters into your own hands for the guard are mightily in pursuit of the wrongdoer, because he didn't have a clue where to start. Had your husband any enemies? Yes, someone put a huge hole in him. But apart from that, did he have any enemies? So he'd extracted himself with as much dignity as possible, which wasn't very much. And after a battle with himself, which he'd lost, he'd picked up half a bottle of Bearhugger's Old Persnickety and wandered into the night. Carrot and Angua reached the end of Gleam Street. Where are you staying? said Carrot. Just uh, down there, she pointed. Elm Street? "'Not Mrs. Cakes.' "'Yes, why not? "'I just wanted a clean place, reasonably priced. "'What's wrong with that?' "'Well, I mean, I've got nothing against Mrs. Cake. "'Lovely woman, one of the best, but, um... "'Well, you must have noticed.' "'Noticed what?' "'Well, she's not very, you know, choosy.' "'Sorry, I'm still not with you. "'You must have seen some of the other guests.' I mean, doesn't Red Shoe still have lodgings there? Oh, said Angua, you mean the zombie. And there's a banshee in the attic. Mr Ixolite, yes. And then there's old Mrs Droll. The ghoul, uh, but she's retired. She does uh, children's party catering now. I mean, doesn't it strike you the place is a bit odd? But the rates are reasonable and the beds are clean. I shouldn't think anyone ever sleeps in them. All right. I had to take what I could get. Oh, sorry. I know how it is. I was like that myself when I first arrived here, but my advice is to move out as soon as it's polite and find somewhere, well, more suitable for a for a young lady, if you know what I mean. Not really. Mr. Shue even tried to help me upstairs with my stuff. Mind you, I had to help him upstairs with his arms afterwards. Bits fall off him all the time, poor soul. But they're not really... ''Our kind of people,'' said Carrot wretchedly. ''Don't get me wrong. I mean, dwarfs. Some of my best friends are dwarfs. My parents are dwarfs. Trolls. No problem at all with trolls. Salt of the earth, literally. Wonderful chaps under all that crust. But undead. I just wish they'd go back to where they came from, that's all. Most of them came from round here. I just don't like them. Sorry.'' I've got to go, said Angua coldly. She paused at the dark entrance of an alley. Right. Right, said Carrot. Um, when shall I see you again? Tomorrow. We're in the same job, yes? But maybe when we're off duty we could take a... Got to go. Angua turned and ran. The moon's halo was already visible over the rooftops of Unseen University. Okay, well, right. Tomorrow then, Carrot called after her. Angua could feel the world spinning as she stumbled through the shadows. "'She shouldn't have left it so long. "'She stumbled out into a cross street with a few people in it "'and managed to make it into an alley-mouth, pawing at her clothes. "'She was seen by Bundo Prung, "'recently expelled from the Thieves' Guild for unnecessary enthusiasm "'and conduct unbecoming in a mugger, and a desperate man. "'An isolated woman in a dark alley was just about what he felt he could manage. "'He glanced around and followed her in. "'Silence followed for about five seconds,' Then Bundo emerged very fast, and didn't stop running until he reached the docks, where a boat was leaving on the tide. He ran up the gangplank just before it was pulled up, and became a seaman, and died three years later when an armadillo fell on his head in a far-off country, and in all that time never said what he'd seen. But he did scream a bit whenever he saw a dog. Angua emerged a few seconds later and trotted away. Lady Sybil Ramkin opened the door and sniffed the night air. Samuel Vimes, you're drunk. Not yet, but I hope to be, said Vimes in cheerful tones. And you haven't changed out of your uniform? Vimes looks down and then up again. That's right, he said brightly. The guests will be here any minute. Go on up to your room. There's a tub drawn and Willikins has laid out a suit for you. Get along with it. Jolly good. Vimes bathed in lukewarm water. "'and a rosy alcoholic glow. "'Then he dried himself off as best he could "'and looked at the suit on the bed. "'It had been made for him by the finest tailor in the city. Sybil Ramkin had a generous heart. "'She was a woman out for all she could give. "'The suit was blue and deep purple, "'with lace on the wrists and at the throat. "'It was the height of fashion, he'd been told. Sybil Ramkin wanted him to go up in the world. "'She never actually said it, "'but he knew she felt he was far too good to be a copper.' He stared at it in muzzy incomprehension. He'd never really worn a suit before. When he was a kid, there'd been whatever rags could be tied on, and later on there'd been the leather knee breeches and chainmail of the watch. Comfortable, practical clothes. There was a hat with the suit. It had pearls on it. Vimes had never worn any headgear before that hadn't been hammered out of one piece of metal. The shoes were long and pointy. He'd always worn sandals in the summer and the traditional cheap boots in the winter. Captain Vimes could just about manage to be an officer. He wasn't at all sure how to become a gentleman. Putting on the suit would seem to be part of it. Guests were arriving. He could hear the crunch of carriage wheels on the driveway and the flip-flop of sedan chair carriers. He glanced out of the window. Schoon Avenue was higher than most of Moorpork and offered unrivaled views of the city, if that was your idea of a good time. The patrician's palace was a darker shape in the dusk, with one lighted window high up. It was the centre of a well-lit area, which got darker and darker as the view widened and began to take in those parts of the city where you didn't light a candle because that was wasting good food. There was red torchlight around Quarry Lane. Well, Troll's New Year, understandable. And a faint glow over the high-energy magic building at Unseen University. Vimes would arrest all wizards on suspicion of being too bloody clever by half but more lights than you'd expect to see around Cable and Shear, the part of the city that people like Captain Quirk referred to as Tiny Town. Samuel! Vimes adjusted his cravat as best he could. He'd faced trolls and dwarfs and dragons, but now he was having to meet an entirely new species. The rich It was always hard to remember, afterwards, how the world looked when she was dans une certaine condition, as her mother had delicately put it. For example, she remembered seeing smells. The actual streets and buildings, they were there, of course, but only as a drab monochrome background against which the sounds, and yes, the smells, seared like brilliant lines of coloured fire and clouds of, well, of coloured smoke. That was the point, That was where it all broke down. There were no proper words afterwards for what she heard and smelled. If you could see an eighth distinct colour just for a while, and then describe it back in the seven-coloured world, it'd have to be something like a sort of greenish-purple. Experience did not cross over well between species. Sometimes, although not very often, Angua thought she was very lucky to get to see both worlds. "'and there was always twenty minutes after a change "'when all the senses were heightened "'so that the world glowed in every sensory spectrum "'like a rainbow. "'It was nearly worth it just for that. "'There were varieties of werewolf. "'Some people merely had to shave every hour "'and wear a hat to cover the ears. "'They could pass for nearly normal, "'but she could recognise them nevertheless. "'Werewolves could spot another werewolf "'across a crowded street. "'There was something about the eyes.' And of course if you had time there were all sorts of other clues. Werewolves tended to live alone and take jobs that didn't bring them into contact with animals. They wore scent or aftershave a lot and tended to be very fastidious about their food and kept diaries with the phases of the moon carefully marked in red ink. It was no life being a werewolf in the country. A stupid chicken went missing and you were a number one suspect. Everyone said it was better in the city. It was certainly overpowering. Angua could see several hours of Elm Street all in one go. The mugger's fear was a fading orange line. Carrot's trail was an expanding pale green cloud, with an edge that suggested he was slightly worried. There were additional tones of old leather and armor polish. Other trails, faint or powerful, crisscrossed the street. There was one that smelled like an old privy carpet. You bitch, said a voice behind her. She turned her head. Gaspode looked no better through canine vision, except that he was at the centre of a cloud of mixed odours. "'Oh, it's you.' "'Right,' said Gaspode, feverishly scratching himself. He gave her a hopeful look. "'Just asking, you understand, just getting it over with right now, for the look of the thing, for wash name's sake, as it might be. But I suppose there's no chance of me sniffing you.' "'None. Just asking. No offence meant.' Angua wrinkled her muzzle. How come you smell so bad? I mean, you smelled bad enough when I was human, but now... Gaspode looked proud. Good in it, he said. It didn't just happen. I had to work at it. If you was a true dog, this would be like really great aftershave. By the way, you want to get a collar, miss? No one bothers you if you've got a collar. Thanks. Gaspode seems to have something on his mind. "'Eh, uh, you don't rip hearts out, do you?' "'Not unless I want to,' said Angua. "'Right, right, right,' said gaspode hurriedly. "'Where you going?' He broke into a waddling, bow-legged trot to keep up with her. "'To have a sniff around Hammerhock's place. I didn't ask you to come.' "'Got nothing else to do,' said Gaspard. "'The House of Ribs don't put out its rubbish till midnight.' "'Haven't you got a home to go to?' said Angua, "'as they trotted under a fish-and-chip stall. "'Home? Oh. <laughs> Me? Home? Oh. "'Yeah, of course, no problemo. Laughing kids, big kitchen, three meals a day, "'humorous cat next door to chase, home blanket and spot by the fire. "'He's an old softie, but we love him, et cetera. "'No problem there. I just like to get out a bit,' said Gaspode. "'Only, I see you haven't got a collar.' "'Fell off.' "'Right?' "'It was the weight of all them rhinestones.' "'I expect it was.' "'They let me do pretty much as I like,' said Gaspode. "'I can see that. "'Sometimes I don't go home for, oh, oh, days at a time.' "'Right. "'Weeks, sometimes. "'Sure. "'But they're always glad to see me when I do,' said Gaspode. "'I thought you said you slept up at the university,' said Angua. "'as they dodged a cart in Rhyme Street. "'For a moment, Gaspode smelled uncertain, "'but he recovered magnificently. "'Yeah, right,' he said. "'Well, you know how it is. "'Families, all them kids picking you up, "'giving you biscuits and similar people, "'patting you the whole time, gets on your nerves. "'So I, uh, I sleeps up there quite often.' "'Right. "'More often than not, point of fact. "'Really?' Gaspode whimpered a little. You want to be careful, you know. A young bitch like you can meet real trouble in this dog city. They had reached the wooden jetty behind Hammerhock's workshop. How do you... Angua paused. There was a mixture of smells here, but the overpowering one was as sharp as a saw. Fireworks? And fear, said Gaspode. Lots of fear. He sniffed the planks. Human fear, not dwarf. You can tell if it's dwarfs. It's the rat diet, see? Phew! Must have been real bad to stay this strong. I smell one male human, one dwarf, said Angua. Yeah, one dead dwarf. Gaspode stuck his battered nose along the line of the door and snuffled noisily. "'There's other stuff,' he said, "'but it's a bugger what with the river so close and everything. "'There's oil and uh, grease and all sorts. "'Hey, where are you going?' "'Gaspode trotted after her "'as Angua headed back to Rhyme Street, "'nose close to the ground. "'Following the trail. "'What for? He won't thank ye, you, you know. "'Who won't? Your young man!' "'Angua stopped so suddenly that Gaspode ran into her. "'You mean Corporal Carrot? "'He is not my young man.' Yeah. I'm a dog, right? It's all in the nose, right? Smell can't lie. pheromones It's the old sexual alchemy stuff. I've only known him a couple of nights. Aha! Uh-huh. What do you mean, aha? Uh-huh? Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with it, anyway. There isn't any it to be wrong. Right, right, not that it would be, said Gaspode, adding hurriedly even if there was. Everyone likes Corporal Carrot. They do, don't they, said Angua, her hackles settling down. He's very... likeable. Even Big Fido only bit his hand when Carrot tried to pat him. Who's Big Fido? Chief Barker of the Dog Guild. Dogs have got a guild? Dogs? Pull one of the other ones. It's got bells on. No, straight up, scavenging rights, sunbathing spots, night-time barking duty, breeding rights, howling rotors, the old bone of rubber. Dog guild, snarled Angua sarcastically. Oh, yeah. Chase a rat up a fight, the wrong street, and call me a liar. It's good job for you I'm around, else you could get into big trouble. There's big trouble for a dog in this town who ain't a guild member. It's lucky for you, said Gaspold, that you met me. "'I suppose you're a big ma um, dog in the guild, yes?' "'Ain't a member,' said Gaspard smugly. "'How come you survive, then?' "'I can think on me paws, me. "'Anyway, Big Fido leaves me alone. "'I got the power.' "'What power? "'Never you mind. "'Big Fido. "'He's a friend of mine. "'Biting a man's arm for patting you doesn't sound very friendly. "'Yeah, last man who tried to pat Big Fido, "'they only ever found his belt buckle.' "'Yes?' and that was in a tree. Where are we? Not even a tree near here. What? Gaspode sniffed the air. His nose could read the city in a way reminiscent of Captain Vime's educated souls. Junction of Schoon Avenue and Prouts, he said. Trails dying out. It's mixed up with too much other stuff. Angua sniffed around for a while. Someone had come up here, but too many people had crossed the trail. The sharp smell was still there, but only as a suggestion in the welter of conflicting scents. She was aware of an overwhelming smell of approaching soap. She'd noticed it before, but only as a woman and only as a faint whiff. As a quadruped, it seemed to fill the world. Corporal Carrot was walking up the road, looking thoughtful. He wasn't looking where he was going, however, but he didn't need to. People stood aside for Corporal Carrot. It was the first time she'd seen him through these eyes. Good grief, how did people not notice it? He walked through the city like a tiger through tall grass. Or a hubland bear across the snow, wearing the landscape like a skin. Gaspode glanced sideways. Angua was sitting on her haunches, staring. Your tongue's hanging out, he said. What? So so what? That's natural, I'm panting. He heh, heh, Carrot noticed them and stopped. Why, it's the little mongrel dog, he said. "'Woof, woof,' said Gaspode, his traitor tail wagging. "'I see you've got a lady friend anyway,' said Carrot, "'patting him on the head and then absentmindedly wiping his hand on his tunic. "'And my word, what a splendid bitch,' he said. "'A ram-top wolfhound, if I'm any judge.' "'He stroked Angular in a vague, friendly way. "'Oh, well,' he said, "'this isn't getting any work done, is it?' "'Woof, woof, whine, give the doggy a biscuit,' said Gaspode. Carrot stood up and patted his pockets. "'I think I've got a piece of biscuit here. "'Well, I could believe you understand every word I say.' Gaspode begged and caught the biscuit easily. "'Woof, woof, woof, fawn, fawn,' he said. Carrot gave Gaspode the slightly puzzled look that people always gave him when he said "'woof' instead of barking, nodded at Angua, and carried on towards Schoon Avenue and Lady Ramkin's house.' ''There,'' said Gaspode, crunching the stale biscuit noisily, ''goes a very nice boy. Simple, but nice.'' ''Yes, he is simple, isn't he?'' said Angua. ''That's what I first noticed about him. He's simple, and everything else here is complicated.'' ''He was making sheep's eyes at you earlier,'' said Gaspode. ''Not that I've got anything against sheep's eyes, mind you, if they're fresh.'' ''You're disgusting.'' ''Yeah, but at least I stay the same shape all month.'' No offence, meant. You're asking for a bite? Oh, yeah, moaned Gaspode. Yeah, you'll bite me. Oh, 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 yes, that'll really worry me, that will. I mean, think about it. I've got so many dog diseases, I'm only alive because the little buggers are too busy fighting among themselves. I mean, I've even got licky end. And you only get that if you're a pregnant sheep. "'Go on, bite me. Change me life. "'Every time there's a full moon, suddenly I grow hair and yellow teeth "'and have to go around on all fours. "'Yes, I can see that making a big difference to my ongoing situation. "'Actually,' he said, "'I'm definitely on a losing streak in the air department, "'so maybe a, you know, not the old bat, maybe just a nipple.' "'Shut up!' "'At least you've got a lady friend,' Carrot had said, "'as if there was something on his mind.' A quick lick, even. Shut up! This unrest is all Vetinari's fault, said the Duke of Earl. The man has no style, so now, of course, we have a city where grocers have as much influence as barons. He even let the plumbers form a guild. That's against nature, in my humble opinion. It wouldn't be so bad if he set some kind of social example, said Lady Omnius. "'Or even governed,' said Lady Solarchie. "'People seem to be able to get away with anything. "'I admit that the old kings were not necessarily our kind of people towards the end,' said the Duke of Earl. "'But at least they stood for something, in my humble opinion. "'We had a decent city in those days. "'People were more respectful and knew their place. "'People put in a decent day's work. "'They didn't laze around all the time, "'and we certainly didn't open the gates to whatever riff-raff was capable of walking through. "'And, of course, we also had law. "'Isn't that so, Captain?' Captain Samuel Vimes stared glassily at a point somewhere to the left and just above the speaker's left ear. Cigar smoke hung almost motionless in the air. Vimes was dimly aware that he'd spent several hours eating too much food in the company of people he didn't like. He longed for the smell of damp streets and the feel of the cobbles under his cardboard soles. A tray of post-prandial drinks was orbiting the table, but Vimes hadn't touched it because it upset Sybil. And she tried not to show it, and that upset him even more. The bear-huggers had worn off. He hated being sober. It meant he started to think. One of the thoughts jostling for space was that there was no such thing as a humble opinion. He hadn't had much experience with the rich and powerful. Coppers didn't, as a rule. It wasn't that they were less prone to commit crimes— It was just that the crimes they committed tended to be so far above the normal level of criminality that they were beyond the reach of men with bad boots and rusting mail. Owning a hundred slum properties wasn't a crime, although living in one was, almost. Being an assassin, uh, the Guild never actually said so, but an important qualification was being the son or daughter of a gentleman, wasn't a crime. If you had enough money, you could hardly commit crimes at all. You just perpetrated amusing little peccadillos. And now, everywhere you look, it's uppity dwarfs and trolls and rude people, said Lady Solarchie. There's more dwarfs in Ankh-Morpork now than there are in any of their own cities, or whatever they call their holes." What do you think, Captain? said the Duke of Earl. Hmm? Captain Vimes picked up a grape and started turning it over and over in his fingers. The current... Ethnic problem. Are we having one? Well, yes, look at Quarry Lane. There's fighting there every night. And they have absolutely no concept of religion. Vimes examined the grape minutely. What he wanted to say was, Of course they fight. They're trolls. Of course they bash one another with clubs. Trollish is basically body language. And, well, they like to shout. In fact, the only one who ever gives anyone any real trouble is that bastard Chrysoprase. And that's only because he apes humans and is a quick learner. As for religion, troll gods were hitting one another with clubs 10,000 years before we'd even stopped trying to eat rocks. But the memory of the dead dwarf stirred something perverse in his soul. He put the grape back on his plate. Definitely he said, in my view, the godless bastards should be rounded up and marched out of the city at spear point. There was a moment's silence. It's no more than they deserve, Vimes added. Exactly. They're they're, they're barely more than animals, said Lady Omnius. Vimes suspected her first name was Sarah. Have you noticed how massive their heads are, said Vimes? That's really just rock, very small brains. "'And morally, of course,' said Lord Earl. "'There was a murmur of vague agreement. "'Vimes reached for his glass. "'Willikins, I don't think Captain Vimes wants any wine,' said Lady Ramkin. "'Wrong,' said Vimes cheerfully. "'And while we're on the subject, how about the dwarfs?' "'I don't know if anyone's noticed,' said Lord Earl. "'But you certainly don't see as many dogs about as you used to.' Vimes stared. It was true about the dogs. There didn't seem to be quite so many mooching around these days, that was a fact. But he'd visited a few dwarf bars with Carrot, and knew that dwarfs would indeed eat dog, but only if they couldn't get rat. And ten thousand dwarfs eating continuously with knife, fork, and shovel wouldn't make a dent in Ankh-Morpork's rat population. It was a major feature in dwarfish letters back home. Come on, everyone, and bring the ketchup. Notice how small their heads are, he managed. Very limited cranial capacity, surely. Fact of measurement. And you never see their women, said Lady Sarah Omnius. I find that very suspicious. You know what they say about dwarfs, she added darkly. Vimes sighed. He was just about aware that you saw their women all the time, although they looked just like male dwarfs. Surely everyone knew that who knew anything about dwarfs. "'Cunning little devils, too,' said Lady Solace, "'sharp as needles.' "'You know,' Vimes shook his head, "'you know, that's what's so damn annoying, isn't it, "'the way they can be so incapable of any rational thought, and so bloody shrewd at the same time.' "'Only Vimes saw the look Lady Ramkin flashed at him. "'Lord Earl stubbed out his cigar.' They just move in and take over, and work away like ants all the time. Real people should be getting some sleep. It's not natural. Vime's mind circled the comment and compared it to the earlier one, about a decent day's work. Well, one of them won't be working so hard, said Lady Omnius. My maid said one of them was found in the river this morning. Probably some tribal war or something. <laughs> "'Shall start anyway,' said Lord Oyle, laughing. "'Not that anyone will notice, one more or less.' "'Vimes smiled brightly. "'There was a wine-bottle near his hand, "'despite Willikin's tactful best efforts to remove it. "'The neck looked invitingly grippable. "'He was aware of eyes on him. "'He looked across the table into the face of a man "'who was watching him intently, "'and whose last contribution to the conversation had been, "'Could you be so kind as to pass me the seasonings, Captain?' There was nothing remarkable about the face except for the gaze which was absolutely calm and mildly amused. It was Dr. Cruce's. Vimes had the strong impression that his thoughts were being read. Samuel? Vime's hand stopped halfway to the bottle. Willikins was standing next to her ladyship. Apparently, there's a young man at the door asking for you, said Lady Ramkin. A corporal carrot? Gosh! This is exciting, said Lord Iol. Has she come to arrest us, do you think? (laughs) 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 (h) Hmph, said Vimes. Lord Iol nudged his partner. (mumbles) I expect that somewhere a crime is being committed, he said. (laughs) Yes, said Vimes. Quite close, I think. Carrot was shown in, with his helmet under his arm at a respectful angle. He gazed at the select company, licked his lips nervously, and saluted. Everyone was looking at him. It was hard not to notice Carrot in a room. There were bigger people than him in the city. He didn't loom. He just seemed, without trying, to distort things around him. Everything became background to Corporal Carrot. At ease, Corporal, said Vimes. What's up? I mean, he added quickly, knowing Carrot's erratic approach to colourful language, what is the reason for you being here at this time? Got something to show you, sir. Um... "'Sir, I think it's from the Assassin. "'We'll just go and talk about it outside, shall we?' said Vimes. "'Dr. Cruises hadn't twitched a muscle. "'Lord Eol sat back. "'Well, I must say I'm impressed,' he said. "'I'd always thought you watchmen were a pretty ineffective lot, "'but I see you're pursuing your duty at all times. "'Always on the alert for the criminal mind, eh?' "'Oh, yes,' said Vimes. "'The criminal mind, yes.' The cooler air of the ancestral hallway came as a blessing. He leaned against the wall and squinted at the card. Gone. You know you said you saw something in the courtyard, Carrot began. What's a gun? Maybe something wasn't in the Assassin's Museum, and they put this sign on it, said Carrot. You know, like, removed for cleaning. They do that in museums. No, I shouldn't think... Th- "'What do you know about museums, anyway?' "'Oh, well, sir,' said Carrot, "'I sometimes visit them on my day off. "'The one in the university, of course, "'and Lord Vetinari lets me look around the old palace one, "'and then there's the guild ones, "'they generally let me in if I ask nicely, "'and there's the dwarf museum off Rhyme Street.' "'Is there?' said Vimes, interested despite himself. "'He'd walked along Rhyme Street a thousand times. "'Yes, sir, just up Whirlygig Alley.' see that. What's in it? Many interesting examples of dwarf bread, sir. Vimes thought about this for a moment. That's not important right now, he said. This isn't how you spell gone anyway. Yes, it is, sir, said Carrot. I mean it's not how gone is normally spelt. He flicked the card back and forth in his fingers. A man'd have to be a fool to break into the Assassins Guild, he said. Yes, sir. The anger had burned away the fumes. Once again he felt, no, not the thrill, that wasn't the right word, the sense of something. He still wasn't sure what it was, but it was there, waiting for him. "'Samuel Vimes, what's going on?' Lady Ramkin shut the dining-room door behind her. "'I was watching you,' she said. "'You were being very rude, Sam.' "'I was trying not to be. "'Lord Ewell is a very old friend.' "'Is he?' "'Well, I've known him a long time. "'I can't stand the man, actually, but you were making him look foolish.' "'He was making himself look foolish. "'I was merely helping. "'But I've often heard you being rude about dwarfs and trolls. "'That's different. "'I've got a right. "'That idiot wouldn't know a troll if it walked over him.' "'Oh, he would know if a troll walked over him,' said Carrot helpfully. "'Some of them weigh as much as—' "'What's so important, anyway?' said Lady Ramkin.' "'We're looking for whoever killed Chubby,' said Vimes. "'Lady Ramkin's expression changed instantly. "'Oh, that's different, of course,' she said. "'People like that should be publicly flogged.' "'Why did I say that?' thought Vimes. "'Maybe because it's true. "'The gone goes missing. "'Next minute there's a little dwarf artificer "'thrown into the river with a nasty draft where his chest should be. "'They're linked. "'Now all I have to do is find the links.' "'Carrot, can you come back with me to Hammerhocks?' "'Yes, Captain, why?' "'I want to see inside that workshop, and this time I've got a dwarf with me.' "'More than that,' he added, "'I've got Corporal Carrot.' "'Everyone likes Corporal Carrot.' "'Vimes listened while the conversation droned on in dwarfish. "'Carrot seemed to be winning, but it was a near thing. "'The clan was giving in not because of reason or in obedience to the law, "'but because, well, because it was Carrot who was asking.' Finally, the corporal looked up. He was sitting on a dwarf's stool, so his knees practically framed his head. "'You have to understand, you see, that a dwarf's workshop is very important.' "'Right,' said Vimes. "'I understand. And, er, you're bigger.' "'Sorry?' "'A bigger.' "'Uh, bigger than a dwarf.' "'Ah. "'Uh, the inside of a dwarf's workshop is like, well, it's, it's like the inside of his clothes.' "'if you know what I mean. Uh, "'They say you can look, if I'm with you, "'but you mustn't touch anything. Um, "'They're not very happy about this, Captain. "'A dwarf who was possibly Mrs Hammerhock "'produced a bunch of keys. "'I've always got on well with dwarfs,' said Vimes. "'They're not happy, sir. Um, "'They don't think we'll do any good. "'We'll do our best. Uh, "'I didn't translate that properly. Um, "'They don't think we're any good.' "'They don't mean to be offensive, sir. "'They just don't think we'll be allowed to get anywhere, sir.' "'Ow!' "'Sorry about that, Captain,' said Carrot, who was walking like an inverted L. "'After you, mind your head on the—ow! "'Perhaps it'd be best if you sat down and I'll look around.' "'The workshop was long and, of course, low, with another small door at the far end. "'There was a big workbench under a skylight. "'On the opposite wall was a forge and a tool rack.' and a hole. A chunk of plaster had fallen away a few feet above the ground, and cracks radiated away from the shattered brickwork underneath. Vimes pinched the bridge of his nose. He hadn't found time to sleep today. That was another thing. He'd have to get used to sleeping when it was dark. He couldn't remember when he'd last slept at night. He sniffed. "'I could smell fireworks,' he said. "'Could be from the forge,' said Carrot. ''Anyway, trolls and dwarfs have been letting fireworks off all over the city.'' Vimes nodded. ''All right,'' he said. ''So what could we see?'' ''Someone thumped the wall pretty hard just here,'' said Carrot. ''Could have happened at any time,'' said Vimes. ''No, sir, because there's the plaster dust underneath, and a dwarf always keeps his workshop clean.'' ''Really?'' ''There were various weapons, some of them half finished, on racks by the bench.'' Vimes picked up most of a crossbow. He did good work, he said. Very good at mechanisms. Well known for it, said Carrot, poking around aimlessly on the bench. A very delicate hand. He made musical boxes for a hobby. Could never resist a mechanical challenge. Um, what are we looking for, actually, sir? Not sure. Now this is good. It was a war axe, and so heavy that Vimes's arm sagged. Intricate etched lines covered the blade. It must have represented weeks of work. Not your actual Saturday night special, eh? Oh, no, said Carrot. That's a burial weapon. I should think it is. I mean, it's made to be buried with a dwarf. Every dwarf is buried with a weapon, you know, to take with him to, um, well, wherever he's going. But it's fine workmanship, and it's got an edge like, oh! Vime sucked his finger. Like a razor. Carrot looked shocked. Of course. It'd be no good him facing them with an inferior weapon. What them are you talking about? Anything bad he encounters on his journey after death, said Carrot, a shade awkwardly. Ah, Vimes hesitated. This was an area in which he did not feel comfortable. It's an ancient tradition, said Carrot. I thought dwarfs didn't believe in devils and demons and stuff like that. That's true, but we're not sure if they know. Oh. Vimes laid down the axe and picked up something else from the work rack. It was a knight in armour about nine inches high. There was a key in his back. He turned it and then nearly dropped the thing when the figure's legs started to move. He put it down and it began to march stiffly across the floor, waving its sword. Moves a bit like colon, done it, said Vimes. Clockwork. It's the coming thing, said Carrot. Mr. Hammerhock was good at that. Vimes nodded. "'We're looking for anything that shouldn't be here,' he said, "'or something that should be and isn't. "'Is there anything missing?' "'Hard to say, sir. It isn't here.' "'What?' "'Anything that's missing, sir,' said Carrot, conscientiously. "'I mean,' said Vimes patiently, "'anything not here which you'd expect to find.' "'Well, he's got... he had all the usual tools, sir. "'Nice ones, too. Shame, really.' "'What is?' They'll be melted down, of course. Vimes stared at the neat racks of hammers and files. Why, can't some other dwarf use them? What? Use another dwarf's actual tools? Carrot's mouth twisted in distaste, as though someone had suggested he wear Corporal Nobbs' old shorts. Oh, no, that's not right. I mean, they're part of him. I mean, someone else using them after he's used them all these years? I mean, ugh. Really? The clockwork soldier marched under the bench. It'd feel wrong, said Carrot. Ugh, yucky. Oh, Vimes stood up. Captain, ow! Mind your head, sorry. Rubbing his head with one hand, Vimes used the other to examine the hole in the plaster. There's something in here, he said. Pass me one of those chisels. There was silence. A chisel, please, "'If it makes you feel any better, "'we are trying to find out who killed Mr Hammerhock. "'All right.' "'Carrot picked one up, but with considerable reluctance. "'This is Mr Hammerhock's chisel. "'This is,' he said reproachfully. "'Corporal Carrot, will you stop being a dwarf for two seconds? "'You're a guard. "'And give me the damned chisel. "'It's been a long day. "'Thank you.' "'Vimes prized at the brickwork, "'and a rough disc of lead dropped into his hand. "'Slingshot?' said Carrot. No room in here, said Vimes. Anyway, how the hell could it get this far into the wall? He slipped the disc into his pocket. That seems about it then, he said, straightening up. We'd better... Ow! ugh, Fish out that clockwork soldier, will you? Better leave the place tidy. Carrot scrabbled in the darkness under the bench. There was a rustling noise. There's a piece of paper under here, sir. Carrot emerged, waving a small yellowing sheet. Vimes squinted at it. "'Looks like nonsense to me,' he said eventually. "'It's not dwarfish, I know that, but these symbols, these things I've seen before, or something like them.' "'He passed the paper back to Carrot. "'What can you make of it?' "'Carrot frowned. "'I could make a hat,' he said, or a boat, or a sort of chrysanthemum. "'I mean the symbols, these symbols, just here. "'Ah, don't know, Captain. "'They do look familiar, though, sort of like alchemists writing.' End of CD 3